Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. Hey, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> My guy, yeah, a minute. All right. Hey guys, my name is Brady Faust. I'm one of the lay pastors here at Christ the King Church. Uh, I am excited to join you guys and preach God's word today. And today we're going to be talking about everyone's favorite topic, the Sabbath. Yeah? Okay, right? It's kind of ironic that we picked the Sabbath on Flying Pig Weekend where like thousands of people in our city are running miles and miles today. But you guys definitely did not run the marathon. So nice work. Good job. Now, when you hear the word Sabbath, though, you kind of like shoulders slump, maybe your eyes roll a little bit. We don't like to talk about the Sabbath, do we? Why not? Because it's one of those topics that's probably so far from your brain and your mind right now, isn't it? I mean, Sabbath? Rest? Who has time to rest in today's world? And most of you probably feel a little bit like I do, right? Life is just filled to the brim with work and relationships, School exams, activities, your kids' activities, etc. I mean, American life is oriented around being busy. Anything that we do always begs of us more of its time. So work is supposed to be simplified because of the advent of technology. And yet we find ourselves now checking our emails all the time, don't we? A kid can't just play not whole baseball anymore, can they? Did you guys know this? You have to be on like four Premier League teams. You have to play in Florida in the winters if you have any chance of going to the major leagues. Okay? Social media. I mean, literally has algorithms upon algorithms to draw us in to spend more time on these apps. I mean, Netflix doesn't just let you watch one show, does it? You can't even grab the remote before the next episode started, can you? Customer service today is built around this idea that we just keep the customer in motion. Unless, of course, you're click listing with the Fausts, and then you sit there for longer than it would have taken to get in the store, right? It happens. Busyness is the de facto norm in America in 2022. It's a status symbol. It is the way of life for most middle and upper class folks in this country. Now, why is that? Because pursuing these things to their fullest feeds on our most unmet desires in life. You see, we are finite human beings that are built with infinite desires. And when we want something, we want it more and more and more. We want to be accomplished. We want to be in control. We want to be successful, wealthy, powerful, smart, popular, respected, comfortable, all to unending degrees. And the world that we live in is designed to try and convince you that you can get what you want if you just have more of it. The answer to these unsatisfied desires is more things. More to see, more to do, more to buy, more to eat, more to experience. And that's how the world tries to solve how we fill our greatest desires in life. But... That's not God's idea for us. In fact, God's idea is radically the opposite. To be satisfied in this busy, crazy world, God calls us as his people to rest, to do less. 
And those of us who call ourselves Christians in the coming years are going to stand out for doing less than the culture around us. So what I want to do is try and answer that today. Now, before we dig into our text in Luke chapter 6, I think it might be a little helpful to just do some background work on the Sabbath so we can understand some of these stories that Luke is going to tell about Jesus. Now, the Sabbath concept is introduced to us right in the beginning when God creates the world in Genesis chapter 2. So most of you are familiar with this. God spends six days creating the universe as we know it. But then he does this really weird thing at the end. Let me read verses 1 and 2 here. It says, Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God literally built a rhythm of rest into the DNA of creation. Now, there's a couple things here. First, what we see is a weekly rhythm. So seven days of creation, and one of those days is set apart. It's holy. It's designed to be rested. We also see that God makes it a holy thing. It's different. It is completely and fundamentally different than the work that he did in the first six days. And then the, the third thing there is that God himself rested from all his work. Now, the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, and it literally means to stop. And this is exactly what God did. Instead of continuing on with his work, he stopped from it. Now, the next time we see the Sabbath show up in a big way is in the Ten Commandments. After God saves the people of Israel from Egypt, he begins to establish his holy people in the promised land. And so he gives them his law, and he establishes his rules for living as God's people. Now, if you've read the Ten Commandments, okay, the Sabbath is actually going to get the most ink. It's the longest commandment. So let me read this to you from uh, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, set apart. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in, him, in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, there's a lot in there, okay, but I want to pull out a couple things. First, God calls it a Sabbath to the Lord our God. A, a Sabbath isn't just a day off. It's an act of worship. And I'm not talking about singing on a Sunday service kind of worship, but it's this whole life orientation towards honoring God. Now, most of us kind of just think of this Sabbath as a day we're just supposed to kind of lounge around and, and not work too hard. Maybe don't run errands or something. But Sabbath is as much about worship as it is about rest. And we're going to see that here in our text in a minute. So the purpose of Sabbath is holy, to be set apart and distinctive from the rest of our week. What we also see is that God refers back to his creation. He places all of creation within six days. I think it's important, right? The seventh day isn't designed for overflow or, or catching up, but it's entirely unique. 
I mean, think of it as God doling out your weekly time, right? You get 168 hours in a week. He says 144 of them are for you to do with them what you want, what you need to do. But these 24 hours, they're mine. They're for me. And so after God implements it through the Mosaic Law, the Sabbath becomes the normal rhythm for the Jewish people for over a thousand years. You work six days, you stop and you rest on the seventh in order to worship God. To recognize that trusting God and his provision for us is more important and better for us than trying to fulfill whatever desire is driving our day to day. In the same way that God provided manna for his people in the wilderness, we are to trust God by taking our time away from our day-to-day work. But we know how people operate, right? We always take a good thing and we warp it into our own selfish desires. So in Jesus' day comes the Pharisees. This is a super intense sect of Jewish priests and teachers that define themselves by their commitment to following Scripture. These guys were the rule followers. And it wasn't because they loved God, but because they loved how good they were at following the rules. And so the Pharisees, before even Jesus is starting his ministries, saw the Sabbath as an opportunity to control their own importance and righteousness. Now, we just read Exodus 20, right? It doesn't give a whole lot of definition to the day-to-day of practicing a Sabbath, does it? I mean, what counts as work? What about all the gray areas? I mean, like, my immediate question is, like, can I go grocery shopping? Or, or can I fix something that's broken in my house? What about cutting the grass? Or what about my kids playing in a youth soccer league on that day? How do we rest? What does it mean to worship God as his time on the Sabbath? And so the Pharisees are going to try and answer that question by creating more rules to give definition to what's okay and what's not okay. All right, so you ready for it? They created 39 categories of rules. Not 39 rules, 39 categories of rules. And they put it all together in what's called the Mishnah. So think of this as the Pharisees' kind of instruction manual for how to follow the Sabbath, among other topics. So those 39 categories are are organized into actions. So just some examples. They had a category about carrying things, about writing, about cooking, about washing about planting, building, kneading. I don't know that I do a whole lot of kneading these days, but you guys get the point, okay? So some specific examples. You weren't allowed to take measurements on the Sabbath. Or if a garment got soaking wet, you couldn't wring it out. Jews weren't allowed to carry anything in public on the Sabbath, even if it was like a simple like pocketbook or whatever their version of a purse would be, okay? Rules, rules, and rules, and rules, and rules about how we follow the Sabbath. All right, so in walks Jesus here, okay? And this is going to bring us to Luke. And Luke is going to give us two stories about Jesus that are tied by the Sabbath. And each of, us, each of these stories is going to teach us something significant about what the Sabbath is and why we practice it as a spiritual discipline. Okay, so we're in Luke chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be 1 through 10. We'll cover the first story here in a second, or first. All right, so verse 1. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took 
and ate the, presence, the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, you read that story, and you're like, what, what the heck is going on here, right? It's a little confusing uh, because there's some contextual pieces. So, first of all, right, you and I aren't going around and plucking heads of grain, are we? Okay, this is kind of specific to their time. This was a common practice among the Jews, specifically poor Jews, in Jesus' day. Now, the Mosaic law allowed for poorer people to glean from the wealthier Jewish grain fields as a way to kind of care for them and provide for them. I mean, think of it almost like a, a homeless person who gets some um, unsold bread from the local bakery kind of concept. So Deuteronomy 23, verses 25 says, If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. The, the principle here is that poor people could take what they needed to survive, but not more than that. Okay, If they start pulling out a sickle and start cutting the grain then that would be theft. So did Jesus and his disciples do anything wrong? No. In fact, they actually following the letter of the Old Testament law. But hold on here. Listen to what the Pharisees are accusing him of. Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Uh-oh. Pharisees had created a rule in this particular action. And so while it was normally fine on any other day of the week, this particular action was a violation of the Sabbath rules. And look what they said. It's really interesting. They say, what is not lawful? That's quite a statement, isn't it? They're no longer just saying, hey, we created some rules to kind of help you give some wisdom and guidelines about how you should follow the Sabbath. But they're literally saying and adding to Scripture itself. They're saying that you must follow this because this is the law, what we say. Now, Jesus is going to respond in a weird way, too, um, for us modern readers. Instead of answering the critique, he tells a story about David from the Old Testament to kind of help the Pharisees uh, be set straight. Now, at first glance, this story seems a little bit confusing, right? It almost seems to be making the point that the Pharisees are making. David's story is found in 1 Samuel 21. He's on the run. Um, and he actually does break the Mosaic law that the Pharisees are talking about here, okay? Exodus 29 forbids any non-Levitical priest from eating the bread of the presence. So why does Jesus use a story about a guy breaking the law to justify his breaking of the Pharisees' rules? The answer is going to lie here in the person. David was the rightful king ordained by God in 1 Samuel. And what Jesus is implying is that as God's chosen king, David has the authority and power to adjust the law. Now, we're talking about a metaphorical sense here, right, with the Mosaic law, okay? But a king has the authority to determine what the law is, right? Are you seeing where Jesus is going? He then tells the Pharisees, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. That is a strong claim. I mean, Jesus is essentially saying, you guys think you have authority over the Sabbath. I'll do you one better. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. He's claiming divinity. Remember, like God created Sabbath for his people. He's the one that blessed it and made it holy. And Jesus is telling the Pharisees, I am God. This day is mine. And for you to worship me, 
not me to worship you and your rules. And I have complete authority over this day. We see in a parallel text in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus adds this quote from Hosea. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, as he talks to the Pharisees. And he's teaching the audience that the Sabbath isn't about following a bunch of rules to be good enough, but it's about connecting with our God and creator in a way that he intentionally designed us to be. All right, second story here. So let's go on. It's it's tied to it. Uh, Verses 6 through 10. On another Sabbath, so this is a different story, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. He rose and he stood there. And Jesus said to him, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good? Or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it. And after looking around at them all, he said to them, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and the hand was restored. But the Pharisees were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, Jesus goes on the offensive in this story, doesn't he? So rather than be questioned or accused by the Pharisees and scribes, this time he's using his teaching to call them out. And while we don't see a verbal exchange, Jesus is going to expose the way the Pharisees are wrongly thinking about the Sabbath. So according to the Pharisees, healing was considered work on the Sabbath, except when we're talking about life and death situations. The emphasis for the Pharisees was on adherence to a standard, to follow the rules so that they could be proud in their own eyes and in their own accomplishments. You see, the Sabbath was for their own glorification. A chance to pursue their desires and show off how great they were in front of other people. But listen to the question Jesus asks them. I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? Jesus is asking a different question, isn't he? Not, should I or shouldn't I do something on the Sabbath? Or or, am I following the rules correctly? But he's asking a question that lines up with God's heart and his design for us as we rest. What is God's desire for me in my time? How does he want me to live in light of who he is and why he created me? And so when I rest or stop, what is the heart behind what I'm doing? What Jesus is showing is that the Sabbath is a gift to his people It's a chance to lean into the God of the universe and all of his goodness and mercy and truth. And rather than focusing on ourselves as we rest, Jesus is calling the Pharisees to focus on God. Mark in a parallel text adds this. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Isn't that interesting? God created the Sabbath as a gift to rest that we might be able to enjoy him. It's not ours to pursue our deepest desires, whatever they might be. And the Pharisees' deepest desires that Jesus exposed were to look good, to be polished, to be well-respected in their communities. And it created this incredibly awful system of dysfunction and legalism. And what we also see is the irony of the Pharisees big time, don't we? Look at verse 10. He asks a question about 
harm or good? What's better? And it says, they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. What we're seeing in this story is that the heart matters when it comes to the Sabbath. In many ways, more than the actions that we're doing. When God gives us a gift, there's an intentionality to it. The gift is designed to draw us closer to him, into his vast goodness and grace. And we receive that gift by enjoying the giver himself. All right, so where does that leave us? We're kind of in an interesting spot, aren't we? Because the world that you and I live in does not resemble the world that Jesus was in with the Pharisees, does it? I mean, I don't know any Sabbath police, do you? Is there anyone in your life that's calling you out for not resting as God commanded us to? Anyone? No! We have the opposite problem in our day and age. I mean, the world around us keeps demanding more and more and more from us. Most of us aren't resting enough. Or at the very least, we're choosing the wrong kind of rest that leaves us feeling more tired and more unsatisfied. Our church can benefit from a greater commitment to the Sabbath. You know, most of us don't need to tackle a legalism about it, but a complete lack of existence of it in our lives. God has given us this incredible gift that will sustain and protect you from danger. And most of us have long forgotten about it as a spiritual discipline in our lives. And so by committing to slowing down and resting, we shield ourselves from so many dangers that can harm us. Sabbath is our protection from all the isms of the world today. Materialism, consumerism, individualism. Capitalism, workaholism. Now, most of us have two major problems when it comes to us in the Sabbath. And both really get at the core of what Jesus was trying to expose in the Pharisees. Okay, so first one is greed. Our first problem is that we want more than what we were created for. When God instilled rest into the creation process in Genesis, he was providing for the finiteness of his creation. This world is not designed to run continuously. And you can see that footprint throughout the natural world. You guys know this. We don't have a lot of farmers in here, okay? But what happens if you grow on soil over and over and over again? Anyone? Yeah, right? It repletes the nutrients. And eventually that soil dies. It, nothing can grow from it. And so farmers have learned that you need to rotate your fields and allow your soil time to rest. And that will allow it to go forever. It can produce food forever in that way. The same is true for us as human beings. We were designed, we were created to rest in our creator. But sin has entered the world. And instead of resting, we fill our brains and our hearts with a desire for more of the things that we think will satisfy our deepest longings. More work will just get me more prestige or money. More entertainment will help me to escape the realities of my life and circumstances. If I have more relationships, it'll fill the void of being lonely. We are worshipers at heart. And when we worship things other than God, the idols do not call us to rest. They demand more and more of us. And that constantness begins to suck the life out of us slowly and surely. And so we live in this world that never stops. Okay, you heard this story about casinos, right? Casinos don't have two things, or most of them don't have. They don't have windows and clocks. 
in them. Why? Because they want you to continue on and on and on and on. And so this gambling thing, right, at first glance it seems glamorous and awesome, but you hang out at a casino for a while, right? I don't want to offend anybody too much, okay? It it can be really sad and and depressing place because you see how committed people are, how people keep feeding a desire over and over again, okay? Our culture never stops. What does stop in our culture? Like Chick-fil-A? It's like all I got. I was just thinking, okay? This nonstopness just eats and eats and eats at our mental and spiritual well-being because we weren't made for the greed, We weren't made to give ourselves fully to our desires. We keep eating, but we never feel full. Author uh, Ron Rollheiser says this, So much of our unhappiness comes from comparing our lives, our friendships, our loves, our commitments, our duties, our bodies, our sexuality, to some idealized and non-Christian vision of things, which assures us that there's this heaven on earth. And when that happens, and it does, Our tensions begin to drive us mad, in this case, to a cancerous restlessness. We cannot rest the way that God designed us because we're too busy seeking our own selfish desires. And if we're not committed to a Sabbath day each week, we will find that we aren't protecting ourselves against those desires from going unchecked. We're greedy. Now, the second problem is that we don't know how to rest. And so we oftentimes engage in what I call fake rest or pseudo rest. That even when we want to rest from the chaotic world that we live in, most of us have no idea how to do it. And so we fall into this trap of trying to do things that aren't truly restful. So let me ask you this question. What is truly a restful thing for you to do that connects you to God and allows you to worship him? I mean, I would imagine that there are people in this room that don't have an answer to that question. Because most of us have not been intentional about resting and trying to rest in ways that are uh, actually restful. So let me give you an example, okay? You have a long, hard day. You get home. You get your kids in bed. What's the first thing you do when you plop down on the couch? I'll tell you what I do. I pull out my phone and I start scrolling on social media, yeah? Anybody with me? Okay, I'm all alone. All right, cool. Awesome. How many of you have gone down the rabbit hole on a social media site this week? Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, yeah? How'd you feel afterwards? Rested? Refreshed? No. Probably you felt even more anxious than when you started, didn't you? Because you just saw all these people's best moments of their life, and you feel completely inadequate compared to them. Our culture has synonymized rest with entertainment, hasn't it? A break means that I need to break from reality, and I need to disappear into video games, or binge-watching a show, or a movie, or sports to rest. But honest question, do you feel rested after hours in front of a screen? I can tell you what the studies say. It's a hard no. Increased screen time brings increased rates of depression and anxiety. Less ability to focus. It cuts down on needed sleep. It leads to increased behavioral and academic problems. It has implications for your physical health. And you know what it doesn't do by and large? It doesn't connect us to God. We spend our time scrolling instead of praying. 
binging instead of reading and missing opportunities to truly enjoy the world that God has created for us. Sabbath has this opportunity to be the most refreshing and life-giving part of your week, to culminate and honor the work that we do and the design that we've been given by God. But for too many of us, we're oversaturated, we're overstimulated, we're overworked, we're just reacting to the world around us, utterly exhausted, surviving day to day. That is not how God intended us for us to live. That's not what we were made for. All right, so I want to get practical here, since many of us are going to need to start thinking about this process, about how to implement a Sabbath in our weekly rhythms. You see, rest for many of us is not in our vocabulary. It's not natural. Sabbath is a spiritual discipline. You don't just fall into it. I mean, the cards are too stacked against us to just luck into a Sabbath rest. And so we need a specific plan to help us develop a routine. Your routine will help to prevent the unexpected twists or things that are going to seek to distract you. So, all right, promise me, all right, tonight for dinner, we're going to make a Sabbath plan, okay? Yes? All right. So let me give you four things to think about as you and your family start to implement a Sabbath rest in your life, okay? All right, number one, pick a fixed time each week to practice Sabbath. When are you going to Sabbath each week? Now, Sunday is kind of your traditional American evangelical Sabbath day, okay? But there isn't a hard rule on this, okay? And Jesus wasn't big on the hard and fast rules about it. In fact, many Christians today are returning to the Jewish practice of starting their Sabbath in the evening, like a Friday night or a Saturday night, and then carrying it on until the next dinner meal the next day. Here's the reality. Sabbath is going to interfere with your life. I I promise you that. There will be things that come up that you're going to have to figure out how to plan around. You're going to have to make choices about whether or not you want to stop and rest. But habits come when you prioritize them. And I promise you, Sabbath over time, if you commit to it, will go from something you dread to one of the most soul-refreshing parts of your week. It's not my promise. I mean, we read this in the liturgy. Let me just read to you, Matthew 11, 28 through 30 again. Come to me, these are Jesus' words, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We need to pick a fixed time each week to practice Sabbath. All right, number two, you need to figure out what you need to stop from. Now, this is going to look different for every person in this room because we all have different desires that are fueling how we spend our time. But we need to start with the desires first. What are you using to try and satisfy your need for happiness? Is it approval of others? A desire to be more accomplished? A love of control and checking things off your task list? The need to be the best mom or the best engineer or the best athlete? Then you need to tie those desires to the activities that you do. What are the things that you do each day that you need to stop from? Maybe it's checking your email. Maybe you need to stop cooking or cleaning or doing laundry around the house. That sounds delightful to me. 
Maybe you need to stop participating in activities. Maybe you need to stop participating in your kids' activities. Maybe you need to stop browsing social media for a day or stop working out. But you need to stop. You need to rest. God has given you six days to do those things. And he's told us that we're better off when we stop and we rest one day a week. Do you trust him? Make a list of things each week that you want to rest from. And we're not going to be like the Pharisees who use it as this barometer for how awesome we are. But we are going to resist the urge to oversaturate our lives and crowd out the source of our true rest. We need to figure out what we need to stop from. All right, number three. Do things that restore your mind, soul, and body and connect you to God. You see, it's not just stop, right? It's worship. We need to remember what the Sabbath is about. It's not a list of to-dos or a list of not-to-dos, but to worship our God and Creator. You have permission for 24 hours to do the restful things to the glory of God. And so what are the things that draw you near to Him? You see, this is what the Pharisees missed out on. They, they missed the beauty of enjoying the God that they love. And so you can read, or you can rest, or you can spend time with family or friends, or pray, or sing, or get outside or enjoy a delicious meal. It's going to look different for every family in this church. Parents, you're going to have to learn the added dynamic of teaching your kids how to rest, because they do not know how to do that. But take time tonight at your dinner table and brainstorm the things that are fun and enjoyable and restful for your family. And talk about how those activities, those things, will connect you to worshiping God more deeply. And do them. That's what the day is for. All right, number four. Slow down the other six days of the week. Here's just a warning for you, okay? You cannot live your life at breakneck speed six days a week and then expect to Sabbath on the seventh. You just can't. You're not going to make it. If we're going to do this and do it well, we need to be a people that does life differently. We have to say no to things. Now, I'm telling you, okay, I know this church. This church is a church full of achievers. You all are smart. You're accomplished. You're high-functioning people. I'm buttering you up here, okay? Okay? You have to slow down. Do you ever see Jesus in a hurry in the Gospels? And yet think about your day and how often you're in a hurry for something. Are you able to love and have joy when you're in a rush? Honoring the Sabbath is going to force you to make bigger decisions about your life and what you want to live. And to confront that you have limitations as a human being. And that's going to go exactly opposite of everything our world's trying to tell us, right? You can do anything and be everything and be all these things. But God's saying, no, you can't. In fact, I didn't design you or create you for that. And so like any spiritual discipline, this is going to be an uneven path for us, isn't it? Now, my hope and prayer is that we can grow slowly but surely towards a deeper understanding of how God designed us to live. As his people, different and content to know that true joy comes from believing and following his intention for us. And that we're willing to reject the crazy, busy torrents of the world around us. 
and show them that there's a better way to live. That happiness and satisfaction comes not from the things that we do, but from the person that we worship. Now, I'll be honest, this is a very convicting sermon for me, because I don't really like to take it slow. It's revealed in me a heart that doesn't stop to rest and trust Jesus. But the reality is that we can't live a true Sabbath on our own, like the Pharisees tried. But remember Jesus' words to the Pharisees, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Listen to these words in Hebrews chapter 4 about Jesus. It says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest also has, rested, has also rested from his works as God did from his. Here's the best news that I can tell you today. God rested after his creation. Jesus sat down at the right hand of God after paying the penalty of our sins. And our failure to live out the Sabbath only reminds us that we need to rest in God's perfection. And while we'll be continually invited into that rest, not because we're good, not because we're God, but because of who God is and what he has done for us. Christ the King, let's be a people that rest, that slows down, that stops from the hustle of this world and worships the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray. God, I am thankful that we have a God that rested because you didn't need to. You're perfect in every way. You created this entire world around us. You created us, and yet you rested because you knew it's what we needed. And you've offered us this incredible gift and opportunity to honor and to follow you, to say with our hearts and our actions that we trust that you're offering us something so much better than anything this world can give us. Lord, I pray that that would be true of us as the people of God, that we would see this, this busyness and, and desire to fill our hearts with something that can't satisfy us as, as a flaw, as a lie, as an idol, but that we would turn to you and trust in your good grace for us and that we would experience the, the true rest that comes from being in Christ. Lord, give us these things. Help change our hearts and our minds and our actions. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. We are Christ the King Church. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctkcincy.com.